The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome back, and thank you all for this wonderful practice of sitting together today. I hope it was fruitful for you, and um, I have a few reflections I'd like to offer now. Uh, and then following that, uh, for those who would like, we'll have plenty of time for uh, comments, questions, experiences, and sharing. But to start with some of the reflections, um, just to note that uh, today we've been practicing noticing different experiences that arise in awareness, sort of the changing stream of experiences, and paying particular attention, when possible, to the mind's relationship or attitude towards any experience that was arising. Um, perhaps you saw some attitudes uh, that were present towards what was being known, and they can be so subtle. They can be, you know, acceptance, uh, calm. They can be very uh, supportive, or sometimes they can be entirely different than that, you know, being hard on ourselves, expressive of um, stress with whatever's coming up or some suffering around what's coming up. And the value of turning from awareness of what's arising towards the attitude towards it is that that is often where the mind is showing us, where we have dissatisfaction or stress or suffering. It also will show us when we're starting to lean in the direction of happiness or we're being compassionate towards what's arising, or we're experiencing some freedom from suffering. So this ability to see the attitude is an important step along the way, um, along the path of practice. So um, for those who were here for the first meditation this morning, perhaps recalling that I dropped that reflection question into the morning meditation about what stands in the way of freedom for you at this point. And um, maybe something bubbled up in awareness when that question was posed, or maybe nothing came up directly. Sometimes if a question is dropped into a meditation like that, it can prompt the awareness to go there sometime during the meditation later. Um, But it, it was just an invitation, and I wouldn't worry too much about it except to say that it is valuable for us to be aware and to return to noticing what our intention is at this time in our practice. It shifts over time. And um, we can have different things that we're working with. And so to remind ourselves or to drop that in occasionally, you know, what? How, why am I not yet a Buddha? <laughs> Basically, what what's going on that's um, coming up for me that I'm working with can be very helpful to remind yourself um, at the beginning of a sitting or a half day like today. And uh, it reveals these patterns uh, through which we're struggling. And by keeping an eye to the the current purpose, um, this also helps prime the mind for recognizing and actually helping us along. The mind will start to show you what you need to know to remove obstacles. Uh, And sometimes I've come to realize that sometimes that's not really obvious. You think something, you know, just not so great is coming up, but actually the mind is 
giving you a little demonstration of, okay, you know, this keeps coming up for a reason. This keeps coming up because I want to show you this is what's causing you difficulty. So one of the major paths of discovery that most of us will engage with at some point is also around whether we identify with our experience or our attitudes or we dis- disidentify with it. So um, the first thing we get to see uh, often is how our minds have been conditioned to identify with things. So, for example, if you went for the movement practice just now and <clears throat> you noticed your mind kept slipping away from awareness and you kept bringing it back and you thought, darn, I just, I'm just no good at this awareness thing. I'm just so, you know, if you had some judgment there, that's an example of identifying with the attitude towards experience, you know, kind of calling yourself good or bad because of an experience or because of a relationship that you're having with the experience. So this gets, this shows us how our minds have been conditioned. Um, And so in a very interesting way, this is good news because we gradually discover the ways in which we tend to take what we experience personally. And this is a very important place of learning uh, for how we suffer, how we experience stress or dissatisfaction, when we take what goes on to be I, me, or mine. So as we watch what arises in meditation and daily life, we start to learn that the phenomena we're seeing and knowing actually are not personal. Um, wise understanding which is sometimes called right view, includes the recognition that actions have consequences, whether the actions are our thoughts, things we say, or behaviors. And they could also be other people's actions, that every every action has a consequence. So over time, um, when we do this practice um, repeatedly and reliably over time, we may start to notice that consequences are actually impersonal in a way. They're more like laws of nature, how life works. And nature is not picking on you. (laughs) So when A occurs, B is the consequence. Maybe you could see how this could be true. If you think of if somebody else were in exactly your same life circumstances and had exactly your background, exactly your genetics, they would have the same consequences that you have, the same things go on. So that's why I say it's more a law of nature than it is personal. doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do with it. Of course, we do an action and we um, bear the consequences. So by impersonal, I don't mean it doesn't have anything to do with you. I just mean that it's uh, more a phenomenon that we can start to see. Maybe you may have touched into that a little in your meditation today. If you sometimes can, you get to that place where you don't even really feel your body that much anymore. Um, and you're kind of just noticing things that are going on in awareness, almost with a sort of distance. Um, that's what I mean by impersonal. Um, so, for example, if we sit in meditation and there are specific supportive conditions, maybe 
meditation leads in that direction towards an increased stillness or a very clear awareness. That is not personal in the sense that that, that's not because I'm a good meditator. It really has very little to do with me. It's because specific conducive conditions lead to that experience of stillness and awareness. They lead to beneficial results for any person. And so that's, that's actually one of the phenomena that is helpful to all of us. The same is true with unbeneficial conditions. So I learned over time, if I, um, ran around and multitasked like crazy all day long, and then I sat down and I thought I was just going to drop into still meditation, I was kidding myself. The consequences of multitasking and doing a lot of tasks all day long at a very busy pace was that the mind was like a snow globe that had been shaken, and it was going to take the snow a while to settle down. It was harder than if I had had a very quiet day, for example. So that was the specific conditions that led to a consequence. Um, one conditioned phenomenon that we may easily confuse with I, me, and mine, or identify with, is that of what is called form. So this appearance, this body. We each inherited certain genes from our parents, and those genes were shaped over millennia, our ancestors' genes flowed down. So most of us would not tend to take it personally and suffer, for example, over the color of our eyes or the fact that our our blood is red. <laughs> Yet, if we look at the culture around us, we can find people suffering over the form, the appearance, and how their body is and spending billions of dollars actually on medical and cosmetic surgeries, makeup, hair, clothes, diets, those things. We can also see um, that people are suffering mightily over appearance based on what culture they're in and how uh, different cultures are interacting with one another. And there's huge suffering and huge costs to that based on form, based on appearance and the way people take that to be. You know, in our, our physical lives with these bodies, we want to employ enough wisdom to care for ourselves with appropriate nutrition, rest, exercise, medical care, if we're fortunate enough to have access to all of that. And um, yet, as we age, we learn that though those efforts are helpful, they don't prevent the body from wearing out and functioning less well in certain respects over time. There are consequences to how we've used the body and to genetics. So I you know, used to have very strong knees, never had any trouble with my knees at all, until I went on a 365-mile bike ride over seven days in Alaska over a bunch of mountain peaks, and I overdid it. And after that, my knees had problem. They had wear and tear arthritis. So that's an example of the kind of condition that can lead to consequences with it happened that this body was prone towards wear and tear arthritis. So doing the best we can and letting go of the idea that we can control this body 
can be a helpful development. I mean, we want to do what's useful, but the idea that we have complete control over this form or this function is a helpful development along the path of letting go and not taking things personally. Instead, we could be releasing any tendency to suffer as we age, which may happen slowly or quickly, and for some of us may take or does take certain bits of functionality away progressively. So these are among the ways we can notice form and function of the body and our attitude towards it. So we can include reactive attitudes that go along with the dissatisfaction, or we might have attitudes of acceptance. So uh, we can think of a lot of, I can think of a lot of those with respect to the body. Um, I once was experiencing pain in my hip, and I thought that I could get physical therapy for it. Once I figured out that no amount of physical therapy was taking the pain away, I learned that I had a little spur, bone spur on my hip. And uh, it wasn't going to go away. So once I accepted that, I still had pain, but I didn't suffer over it. I just was like, okay, this is going to feel the way this feels. So um, as we get to know our attitudes um, and our patterns of thinking, our patterns of reactivity, we can start to become disenchanted with those react those forms of reactivity. Like I became disenchanted and kind of let go of reactivity towards the spur in my hip. Um, and we can find that giving way uh, to appreciation for what this form does for us. It has certain strengths. It heals itself in certain ways. It makes activities, certain activities possible. Another conditioned phenomenon that can be revealed um, as an attitude of taking things personally comes through feeling tone. So we talked about form, this body, and its function. We can also take feeling personally and identify with it. So by feeling tone, I mean the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And awareness of, of feeling tone, by the way, is an incredibly supportive useful practice because it allows us to catch experience early, our attitude toward experience early, just at the point where attitudes are, are likely to pop up that might lead to stress or suffering. For example, in sitting, we might notice in sitting meditation an unpleasant feeling in part of the body. And if we see it for what it is, simply unpleasant, the mind can uh, be with that. If we don't see that, if we just let unpleasant happen without noticing it, the mind can start to engage in attitudes of resisting it, fighting it, not wanting it, feeling pain, you know, really reactively, being unhappy with the fact that it's present, even having a lot of thoughts about how it should not be there. <clears throat> Whereas if we if we note, if we feel those initial feelings of, ah, oh, this is unpleasant, like with the bone spur in my hip, I notice unpleasant, I that suffices to relax me and I can <clears throat> simply be present with, yeah, it's unpleasant. It's not going to go away. 
um, it can rem- I, with me now the reminder comes up that bodies are subject to fluctuations. Sometimes ple- pleasant being experienced, sometimes unpleasant. It's natural, and I can accept it as part of reality. Another example with respect to feeling tone is we might not particularly notice a pleasant feeling in the mind, heart, and body if we don't maintain clear awareness and we just kind of drift into it, we might drift into fantasy. And if we do that, it may be, maybe feel great, but we might be inadvertently reinforcing a pattern of escape from what's actually happening. And over the long term, that escape pattern could create stress if we fail to pay attention to something that's important. Then um, a third example about this feeling tone is if we have a habit of believing that, I, you know, I don't really experience pleasant and unpleasant very much. I'm, I'm really mostly neutral. It can be the, the case that we experience neither pleasant nor unpleasant, but it could also be that we've developed a habit of ignoring or suppressing our feelings long ago in order not to experience pain or certain unpleasant things. And over time, this could actually feed delusion. So if I say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just not an emotional person. I just don't feel that much. I might be in delusion about that and become aware, unaware of my own experience. So another major way, and, you know, there are a lot of major ways that we identify with experience, but I thought I'd just offer you a few today. Another one, besides form and this appearance and how this body functions and feeling, whether it feels pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, a third way is that we identify with our experience through all the ways we create ideas and concepts about it. So thinking about who we are, who we were, who we will be, and making all kinds of attributions of good or bad, uh, skilled or unskilled with our thoughts, our speech, our actions, our experience, that process of attribution and concepts leads to identities that we get hardened around. So let's say we've had unpleasant experiences. It's very possible, and a lot of people do, either directly or indirectly blame themselves for these unpleasant experiences, not even realizing that they blame themselves. They just decide somehow they're not worthy, they're inferior, they're unsuccessful. We could sit here for the next half hour and brainstorm lists of negative identities people create and believe. And so these are ways of identifying with experience that are suffering. Of course, we could also do positive identifications that could be equally inaccurate. We could decide we are just so great and other people are the problem, but we are fantastic. And the way we think, the way we do things is just perfect. And maybe you've met people like that. And that identification also creates suffering. So that's ways of identifying with experience. So a way we could see this clearly um, is if you or a friend have ever tried to take up a sport or taken a job for which your abilities were not a good match. So when I was in high school and our gym class did gymnastics, I got a bad grade. 
I'm tall. I have long muscles. And it just felt like this body was not designed for gymnastics. Now, had I identified my worth with that, or if I had identified that as me, it could have created a lot of misery. But fortunately, I didn't identify with the fact that gymnastics just didn't work. Or if you've ever had a job for which your skills or personality were not a good match, and you over-identified with it, uh, when you lost the job or gave up the job, you might have felt a period of stress or suffering with respect to it. Um, yet, if you were able to see clearly that eh, it's just a mismatch and you found another position, you might have seen there was no need to identify with it and you may have had minimal or no suffering. So a crucial thing about all of this with respect to Buddhist practice is that there are perhaps as many ways to do mindfulness practice, sitting practice, daily life practice. There might be as many ways as there are people. And if we hear about a specific way a Buddhist teacher describes practice or does practice, and that doesn't fit for us, if we identify with that, we're going to be suffering unnecessarily. If instead we watch our experience and we take in what the teacher's saying and then we try it out, we're like, does this really work for me? Does this really describe my experience? And we we stay aware and we work with wisdom and we refrain from identifying who we are with our experiences in meditation and daily life practice. We then free ourselves up to adapt practices to fit us or to find and try various approaches until we find those that help us unfold along this path. So there are so many more ways that we identify with experience than what I've mentioned today, including really subtle ways. For example, we can mistake what we think for who we are. Um, So this area of looking at whether we're identifying with our attitudes, whether we're identifying with our bodies, our feelings, our Ideas is a really rich field for curiosity and exploration. And it's an important one not to rush. Be very patient. Be kind and compassionate towards all this. We human beings have loads of conditioning under our belts over the decades we've been alive. So we've got plenty of this to work through. And as we study our patterns of what we're aware of and our attitudes toward it, as we realize where we identify with experience, we start to see where stress, where dissatisfaction, where suffering arise. And by cultivating patience and curiosity, being compassionate towards these conditioned experiences, and taking time on the path to explore um Wisdom continues to grow, and the path starts to unfold us in the direction of freedom. Um, So thank you very much for listening and for practicing in this way together. Um, We've come to the formal end of our half day. um, And so you have the option to leave if you need to leave, and you can unmute and say goodbye in a moment. Or you can stay for the group practice discussion. And during that discussion, you're invited to share experience, ask questions, lodge protests, or simply to listen. You're not required to, you know, put yourself out there. Um, so 
anyone who is ready to leave, thank you so much for being with us today. And may this practice benefit you and everyone else in your life whose life you touch. 